Stop telling people more than they need to know. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com, and you can find me, as always, on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. We are going to be covering the action from Sunday. We're going to be previewing the seven games for Monday. We're going to be looking at the week ahead for daily changes and weekly Leagues. We are also going to be recapping some teams' action across the weekend, shining that player spotlight on Jared Allen of the Brooklyn Nets. So there's lots to get to. Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. Too. All right, let's get to it indeed. Um, I am recording this before the Super Bowl has started, so congratulations if your team won. Congratulations if the team that you were betting on covered the spread. Congratulations if uh, whatever rooting interest you have in this game pays off in your favor or commiserations. If it goes uh, the way that you don't want it to go, also a big shout out to you, of you guys who are listening to this podcast during the Super Bowl. You are the, the I guess, the true NBA fans. I will, uh, I'll probably watch some of the Super Bowl today. Many people asking me that. I won't be necessarily glued into it. And by the time this podcast finishes, the Super Bowl may have kicked off. I'm not sure of the exact time. I might be able to. Um, I might miss the the opening of, of the show, but I'll probably settle in and watch the uh, watch the back end of the Super Bowl today. And personally, again, don't know the results at this point. I uh, I hope the Eagles win. I always uh, I always enjoy an underdog story, so I hope the the Eagles uh, can get up and uh, and get that victory. Although it is always fun to see the Patriots win and people lose their shit. So whichever way it goes, I don't really mind too much. But that's the way that I'm heading at the moment. So I hope that it is the Eagles that get up. But uh, if the Patriots win, it'll be funny nonetheless. Just to see uh just to see people lose their shit. All right, we're going to talk NBA now, of course. So let's uh let's look at the week ahead. We're looking ahead to week 17. The trade deadline occurs next week. We will be having a live show. Myself and Greg Ehrenberg from Basketball Monster will be periscoping the show live, probably the hour leading up to the deadline and and going 15, 20 minutes over as those deals start to trickle in, talking about those things as they happen. Kyle McEwen will be uh, working on Basketball Monster doing the uh, projection updates and I'll be going through and... and, and, uh, Having a look at those as well, and Matt will be doing. Matt Smith will be doing a live chat on Basketball Monster. So we're going to be covering you with that trade deadline. However, you want to uh, peruse it, you can be chatting with Matt on Basketball Monster while listening to myself or watching myself and Greg do it on Periscope and see the changes occur pretty much in real time over on the website. So next week for Friday or Thursday night, you'll get two podcasts. You'll get the trade deadline show, and then you will get the standard Thursday recap Friday preview show. Just giving you guys a heads up for that. Let's look at this week ahead, though. It's a strange week in that the games are extraordinarily spread out. So you could realistically stream players in every single day this week, potentially not Friday as there's nine games on, but every other day you should be able to do it. Seven games Monday, eight games Tuesday, six on Wednesday, six on Thursday, nine on Friday, seven on Saturday, and eight on Sunday. So getting that... um Getting your streaming going for the week is, it's not going to be all that difficult. But if you have limited 
acquisitions, you really do have to be smart about how you're using them. If you've got four acquisitions for the week, you can't just be going, well, I'm just going to add someone on those low schedule days because you have got you know, multiple days during the week. So you can really start to get an advantage over people by looking at back-to-backs and getting two-for-one deals uh, in terms of getting, you know, adding a guy on Monday, having them play Monday, Tuesday, adding another guy Wednesday, having them play Wednesday, Thursday, and getting multiple games out of each acquisition, which is a great way of doing it. If we're going to go with the way we normally do it, eight games and under is a stream day, then we can take Friday out. So let's have a look at these stream days, which would be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. On Monday and Tuesday, there are two teams that play that back-to-back. It's the Wizards and the Magic. A guy like Markeith Morris should be owned regardless, but you could potentially stream in someone like uh, Mike Scott if he's if he's healthy. Thomas Sataransky is a guy I'd be adding regardless. You could look at a guy like Kelly Oubre Jr. there as well. For the Magic, um, if Aaron Gordon doesn't play, then of course Mario Hazonia is in a great spot. You could look at DJ Augustine as an option. Um you might consider Mo Spates, although I probably wouldn't do that. Tuesday, Wednesday, we've got a bunch of teams, the Cavs, the Rockets, the Suns, the Nets, and the Grizzlies. There are plenty of players across those teams that you can stream in. The plumber for the Cavs is someone to look at, Gerald Green from the Rockets. For the Suns, make sure Josh Jackson's owned. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. You could stream Dragon Bender, Alex Len, uh, even Tylee Eulis, if there's any uh, issue with Devin Booker's ribs that he hurt today. For the Nets, plenty of guys as well. Damari Carroll, if he's around. Jared Allen, who's a must-own, is a guy you could look at. You could stream Jaleel Okafor potentially. Karis Levert might be a stream option there. And then you've got the Grizzlies. Andy Harrison, Wayne Selden, uh, Jim Ennis is another guy, Jermichael Green, Jarrell Martin. All those guys can give you two games of value there. On Wednesday, Thursday, there's no back-to-back, so we move to the Thursday-Saturday pseudo back-to-back, which may suit you. It may not because you might be able to get an actual Thursday-Friday and a Friday-Saturday in depending on the construct of your team. But if we look at Thursday-Saturday, we've got the Mavericks, the Wizards, the Magic, and the Lakers. I already talked about the uh, the Wizards and the Magic guys. The Lakers guys, you're looking at Josh the Hitman Hart, who's been putting up some really good numbers. Look, the Hitman could be an option. I guess it depends on what's happening with Lonzo Ball, but he could be an interesting stream there. For the Mavericks, we're looking at a guy like Dwight E. Powell, Devin Harris, JJ Barea. Those guys, if they're around, they could have that stream value Thursday, Saturday. And then the Mavericks, again, have a Saturday, Sunday back-to-back. So theoretically, you could pick up a Dallas guy on Thursday and get Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, three games in four nights for them and be able to stream those players in and use your earlier acquisitions or use your other acquisitions on Sunday to really do it matchup dependent and see what categories you really need to attack. So that is a, a nice way of looking at it. For the week, there's only one team that plays two games if for weekly changes leagues that's the San Antonio Spurs so there's no one worth starting in majority of formats maybe LaMarcus in a 14 team league you'd be would be a guy that you'd look at but that's really about it you've got the majority of teams playing three games the four game teams are the Cavs the Pistons the Mavericks Celtics Pacers Rockets Jazz Wizards Pelicans Magic Hawks Blazers and Hornets, they've all got four games, but most of your weekly decisions are going to be based on the three-game guys. And that those players come from Denver, Miami, Chicago, Toronto, Phoenix, Minnesota, Brooklyn, OKC, the Lakers, the Knicks, the Sixers, the Kings, the Bucks, the Clippers, the Grizzlies, and the Warriors. If you want to look at schedule-wise, the Warriors have a tough goal, it, but they really don't have many guys who are going to fall into that borderline category because they've got four guys who are valuable. Steph, KD, 
Draymond and Clay, and they're going to be used regardless. But the Grizzlies have the next toughest schedule, the Jazz, the Hawks, and the Thunder. So that limits a lot of those guys that you might be looking to pick up, and Andy Harris and a Wayne Selden, those sort of players. Of use, they can be in... Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to sound like Yoda there. They can be of use... In uh, daily changes leagues where they've got that nice little uh, back-to-back in the beginning of the week, but weekly, it's probably going to be a tough go of things, whereas the, the, the Nuggets and the Heat have got really positive schedules. Denver plays against Horn- the Hornets, the Rockets, and the Suns, so that's yeah, really good as a three-game week. So guys like Gaz Harris, the Blue Arrow, Farton, Will Barton, Jokic, even someone like Trey Lyles or Baby Neck Wilson Chandler might get a boost in value for the, the deeper leagues there that puts them ahead of some borderline players for maybe the Grizzlies who are down there with that tough uh, tough schedule that sets up for the week there. Let's now look at uh, what happened over the weekend for teams that we're not going to talk about in the recap or the preview section of today. We'll start with the San Antonio Spurs. Um, they're, they're a team who, look, as, as I said, their week coming up, um, coming up here is only two games, so we're not going to be looking too much at adding these guys for for action during this week because, of course, you're only getting two games out of them. You're not going to be able to really uh, really use them too much. But it was important to see that Dejounte Murray only played 21 uh, 22 minutes in the game across the weekend as Tone Parker played more. That was the concern with Murray. We love what he'd been doing, but with Pat Mills around, with Parker still around, and the fact that he wasn't getting 30 a night even when Parker was out at the start of the season, that's why I was a little bit cooler on him than, say, what many others were. He still is a guy to own, but if he comes back to a 24-minute role instead of a 27 or 28, minute role. He's going to be a hard guy to keep if that's the way that Popovich wants to run that situation. So so pay some attention there. We've got a big game from Dan Green in terms of minutes. I wouldn't be banking on that happening. And a change in the starters. I don't know if it's permanent, but Davis Bertans started over Pau Gasol. Bertans then got hurt and saw his minutes limited, but it was an interesting uh, move. I'm still holding power, and I'm not adding Bertans in any leagues that I wouldn't have already owned him in, but it was an interesting maneuver to see Aldridge play center and Bertans start off as the starting power forward on this team. The Golden State Warriors, there's always very little to talk about this team within fantasy. There's KD, there's, there's Steph, there's Clay, there's Draymond. That's that's who they are, really. We had an interesting Zaza performance. He was uh, actually a top 100 player over the weekend, but nothing to really see there. You know, Shawnee Livingston, Uncle P, Nick Young, Pat McCaw, Igadala. Really, no value is changing with any of these players on the Warriors, and they're potentially the most boring team to actually talk about from a fantasy basketball perspective. Not that they're boring at all to watch, of course, but when I talk about them, it's just the same shit all the time. Joel Embiid. Played a back-to-back, 65 minutes across two games, averaged 20 and 10 with two blocks. It is lit, as the uh, as the kids say. Pretty excited to see Embiid play that back-to-back. Big numbers in them. The minutes weren't really limited. That is huge, huge news. Bob Cove also busted out of his slump after I talked about him in the player spotlight. So thank you, Robert, for uh, acknowledging my uh, my focus on you. Um, not really too much to talk about there. Rashawn Holmes didn't play at all. I think I think we're all well aware that he's not worthy of a stash in any sort of format really at this point outside of you know deeper dynasty leagues. While Timotei Lawawu Cabarro was out and Jared Bayless got back into the rotation. I'm not sure if that will stick. I like what Justin Anderson does over both Bayless and Lawawu Cabarro. Uh, but we will see. Still no Mark L. Fultz at this point, but nothing's really changing too much in terms of the standard league value for uh, for guys in Philadelphia. 
Minnesota Timberwolves, another game where Jeff Teague's minutes came down. Only 27 in this one, while Tyus Jones played 20. And shockingly enough, Tyus Jones outplayed Jeff Teague because I think he is. A, he might not be a better player than Jeff Teague, but I think he is a better fit with this team and with this group of starters. Jones had 15 points with an assist and two steals, while Teague had 5, 2, and 6. Teague still had a triple one. He shot poorly. I don't think that a wholesale change is going to be made, but every game since we started really noticing this four or five games ago, Teague seems to be losing a minute or two each game, and Jones jumping up. We're looking to to grab Jones maybe in a 16-teamer just in case. Nothing shallower than that, I wouldn't think, and I'm definitely not dropping Teague unless I'm in like an eight-team or a six-team league or something really shallow along those lines. But it is something interesting to us for us to pay attention to, and Jones does fit much better with those guys. Yeah, uh, Townsie's uh, usage was up, which is something we've been calling for, so that was always good to see. And Andrew Wiggins struggling along with, uh, as he usually does, just providing very little value outside of the points category, as he is wont to do. The uh, Houston Rockets just smashed the Cavs. No Eric Gordon, so Gerald Green played 30 minutes. He had 17 with four triples across the weekend. While Ariza and Gordon are out, Gerald Green has value, but that value is going to be short-lived. And when both of those blokes come back, Gerald's not even going to be in the rotation. So, yeah, really short-term value, but I wouldn't be sacrificing an ad or a roster spot on him, especially with the trade deadline coming up and things changing. Guys like Joshy Jackson, Jarrett Allen, Nick Muratich, if somehow he's still around, value is going to open up in these next few days. And that's an important point as well, is don't waste your ads early in the week because come Thursday, things are going to change and you're going to want to have um, waiver priority or at least additions to make those changes to get those players who find themselves in better position. So even if you have to sacrifice a couple of categories early in the week, hold your ads. And I talked about streaming at the start, and I probably should have mentioned this then. Hold your ads until, or hold majority of your ads until Thursday, and then really have a look at it and try and uh, and try and get the players whose value has increased the most due to the trade deadline. The last team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Jesus, this team, man, they are, they are horrendous. I heard someone saying they're going to drop Isaiah Thomas. I definitely wouldn't be doing that, but he is struggling. I have long been of the um, impression that Isaiah Thomas is not as good as what he showed last season. If you listened to this podcast at all last year, I went on about that quite a lot. He has struggled. Yes, he's coming back from hip injury. I think he should have had surgery on it. I'm not a doctor, but I have had the same injury, and I do have medical experience, and I don't know why he didn't have that uh, surgery. He doesn't look the same. He's already 29 years of age, and he's not getting any better. He's not getting any better defensively. It's weird from him. He also has a a very weird attitude, which I have had referenced before on this podcast. His discussion of the, the Brinks truck mentality in Boston was always something that, I don't know, it just was a, a weird, a weird thing to come out and say um, publicly. Publicly, and um, yeah, look, there's this some weird stuff going on with him. Um, not much else really to talk about here. Channing Fry, who put up a couple of good games, didn't do much in that game against Houston. Really more of a streamer or deep league guy. Tristan Thompson, Jay Crowder, they aren't getting it done either for standard leagues. Just an absolute uh, disgusting performance for them against the Rockets, and they are. They are looking terrible, but things can clearly change as we head to April and May, but it uh, it does not look good as a Cleveland Cavaliers fan at the moment. Let's look now 
at what happened actually on Sunday and go to the monstrous line of the night. And it is Al Horford of the Boston Celtics. 22-10-5 for Horf. Two blocks, two triples, eight of 12 from the field and four of four from the free throw line. Another strong performance from Horford. He has been the 35th ranked player this season. You could have got him outside the top 50 in a lot of drafts. He was a guy that I was pretty excited about targeting in a lot of formats. I thought he was getting underrated. People thought the addition of Kyrie and Gordon Haywood was really going to drop him down a lot in value. I didn't quite see it that way, and it's something that did uh, did pay off for me in terms of looking at uh, preseason projections. They're putting together some some nice numbers here. Horford averaging 13 and a half, eight and five. Got those rebounding numbers up, not as high as they were at the start of the season, but an improvement on last year. Upped his three pointers. He's getting a block a game, over half a steal, and really efficient. 51 and 73, shooting a blistering. 44% from three. He has been fantastic. He was your monstrous line of the night. He is going to remain close to a top 40 guy for the rest of the season. The waiver wire line of the night and the young gun of the night is the same person. It is Joshy Jackson of the Phoenix Suns. Um, he has been really, really good. In the last four games where he has played uh, we started three of them, and he played 29 minutes in that other game. He is the 35th ranked player in that time, averaging 21 points per game. Now, granted, it's coming on 52% field goal percentage and 41% from three. Actually, I probably should tell you what he did in this game against uh, um, against the Hornets. 23-5-1, three triples, a steal and a block, and 10 of 14 from the field. So his value is clearly skewed by a high field goal percentage. 52% in the last four from the field, 41% from three when for the year. He's at 40 and 28. So those numbers aren't going to stick at that level. But let's let's scale it down. What we've seen from him is an increase in usage, 32% over those last four games, 30% over the last month. So an increase in usage is going to help the, the bulk amount of points. In fact, over his last month, he's averaging almost 16 points per game. So there's value there. But... In these last four, six rebounds, 1.3 steals, and 0.8 blocks. The assists are nowhere near what we thought they could be coming out of college. I was never that high on him being this high assist point forward sort of a guy. He's averaging only 1.2 this year. But it's the defense, the steals, the blocks, hitting some threes, one and a half a game, getting you six rebounds. And if he can give you 17 points per game from here on out, which I think is a decent approximation of what he could potentially do, then he's going to be a guy that's going to produce you know, great value for you. I think he is a clear, clear must-own player. Yeah, you know, over a guy who's been hyped as a must-own guy like a Wayne Seldon, I would comfortably have Joshy Jackson. I don't think there's much debate there. If you picked up Greg Munro, I would comfortably have Josh Jackson in uh, in that spot there uh, as well. They're really starting to to get things going, but I don't think we should be expecting the uh, the, the percent the shooting percentage to stick at the current level that it's at, but I still think that there is uh, there's room for him to uh, at least maintain an improved level as opposed to what we saw from him at the beginning of the season, but definitely a guy that I'd be grabbing. Uh, I'd be looking into him strongly in, in all formats, and I think there is a pretty significant room for him to improve in in multiple different areas and really like what we're seeing from him. Don't think it sticks, the shooting, but everything else makes him a must-own guy. I think I've said that enough to uh, get that point across. The dart of the night. I tell a man's not hot. D'Angelo Russell of the Brooklyn Nets, 3-1-7 with a triple, 1-8 of eight from the field, and fouled out in only 
18 minutes. This comes off the back of two strong games where he had 22 points and 15 points. So I'm not overly concerned about this game. He is still a guy that I believe should be owned in all leagues. He is ramping his minutes up. This was not uh, good in terms of minutes, but 24 on the last one. And the foul trouble did limit his playing time here. I think he would have been pushing up to 25 or 26. So I think that he, if he does get dropped after this performance, and some people will drop guys and not realize that it was because he fouled out in 18 minutes. So if that actually happens, I would be, uh, I'd be definitely looking to grab Russell if he does hit my wire. Would I add him over a Josh Jackson? Well, I feel more comfortable about Jackson getting 30 plus than I do about Russell getting 28 plus. Um, but I still would likely go with Russell over Jackson, but they they are both guys that I believe needs to be owned. It's going to be a, a frustrating process over the next week or so, I would believe, still for, for Russell, but he can be he can be much better than what he currently was or, or, or was at least in uh, in this game. I think he can uh, he can comfortably improve on what we saw uh, what we saw from him in that performance. So have a look if he's on your wire and, and make that decision whether whether he's a guy that you need to go and add in a, in a lot of cases uh, I believe that will be the case. All right, let's uh, get into these games now, break them down, have a look what we can uh, get out of the action from Super Bowl Sunday. The first game, the Boston Celtics and the Portland Trailblazers. The Celtics get the win by one. Mo Harkless, out of nowhere. Shabazz Napier didn't play, so Harkless played 31 minutes and had 19 and 8 with five triples. Had you know, Took a lot of shots, didn't do much defensively, but this is a guy that hasn't even been in the rotation at all. We saw Pat Connaughton and Evan Turner have their minutes decreased, and with Napier, out, he got more playing time. I'm not looking to grab Harkless anywhere. Um, again, he could very easily just fall back out of the rotation in a couple of games, which has happened to him a few times already during this season. Nurkic had 14-8 and eight with two blocks in 28 minutes, a totally acceptable line, and you know, something that does make him a guy that, that needs to be owned. While Lillard had 21-6-9, and nine. and our mate, Al Farouk Aminu. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. Only 31% on 13 attempts, 11 and 8 with three triples. Definitely a 12-team guy that's fine to own, but not a must-own player. And if he's on the waiver wire, I wouldn't be looking, man, what the hell's going on? Why's Amino in there? I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be approaching him that way, but definitely does have some value. Lillard 21, 6 and 9, and McCullum 22, 3 and 3, but both of those guys had subpar fuel goal percentages. For the Celtics, we know that uh, Greg Monroe is going there. As Greg runs in, we realise this could get dangerous. But he may not sign until after the trade deadline to give the Celtics some extra flexibility. He is not a must-own or must-stash player in standard leagues at this point. They were also without Marcus Smart, Marcus Morris, and Kyrie Irving. So Terry Rozier made another start, played 36 minutes, had just 11, 6, and 5 on 28% shooting, but stuffs the stat sheet. Really aggressive rebounding guard, six boards here, five assists. And while Smart and Irving are out, Rozier is fine. To, he's a must-own guy. When Irving comes back, the value dips, but it's still a guy that's going to have some value. But when Smart comes back, it's just going to be really tough for him to get 27-plus minutes per night, and I don't think he's going to be able to maintain that 12-team league value. Jalen Brown had a good night, 16-6-4 with four triples, while Jason Tatum, he hit himself three triples and had 17-2-5. They're three triples on only five attempts, just really trying to push back to get me to shave this beard off. It's not going to happen, uh, Jace, but uh, try as much as you want. With no Marcus Morris, Shemi Ojale is getting a larger role. It's not really doing much for fantasy, 6-6 six six with a steal and a block. 
Um, I don't really love him long-term in Dynasty. He's provided really good value as a rookie uh, for the Celtics this season, but his game just doesn't look superb from a fantasy point of view. Let's move on to that next game, which is the Memphis Grizzlies and the Toronto Raptors. Um, Marcus Gasol was strong, 26-5, and five, two blocks. Yeah, that's good stuff. Or Andy Harrison, we have to pay attention to Harrow here. 31 minutes, 16, 4, and 3. This was with Mario Chalmers back. We weren't sure how the minutes were going to go with Chalmers back, but they were clearly in Harrison's favor. And I would be, I'd be more comfortable adding him than, uh, than even a uh, Wayne Selden in a lot of cases. I can understand with the appeal with Selden, but in the last six games, he's had two good games and four absolute turd burgers. Whereas Harrison's pushing along nicely. Uh, they both are, are borderline 12 team league guys. But I like what we're seeing from Harrison here. 16, 4, and 3, while Selden 8 and 7 in 35 minutes. Jermichael Green took that starting power forward job back off Jarrell Martin. Green had 11 and 6 with a triple 1, while Martin had 4 and 5. Uh, missed all five of his shots. I don't think that Green is a 12-team league guy, and there are better options out there. Dylan Brooks, 27 minutes, 12 and 5. He's scoring at, at an elevated rate at the moment, getting double digits almost every night, but more of a 14 to 16-team league player. Well, Deontay Davis... Interestingly, played 19 minutes. That means that he played next to Marcus Ole, uh in that two-big lineup, blocked his two shots. It wasn't a good night in other areas, but if he can play alongside Gasol um, and get some minutes at the expense of Martin and Green, then that does improve his value and maybe pushes him from an 18-team guy to maybe a 14-team league guy. Definitely a name to watch, Deontay Davis. On to the Raptors. We all buried Delon Wright, and he uh, bounced back with a huge one, 15-4, two assists, and four steals. These are the sort of performances he can have, but I wouldn't be rushing to the wire to go back and scoop him up. This was a game where the starters were limited for the Raptors, only 26 minutes for Kyle Lowry and 27 for DeMar DeRozan because they were just so far up. Freddie Van Vliet also good, 13-7-8 with two steals in his 28 minutes. Another guy who, you know, putting up the, the good numbers there, but I'm not sure that uh, not sure that there's anything to really see there for 12 or even 14 team leagues. Big game from Pascal Siakam. He blocked three shots. Jonas had 12 and nine in his 24 minutes. Pirtle had two blocks. Just minutes spread all over the place. The only bloke... As a, yeah, the only blokes who didn't get to 20 minutes were CJ Miles and the Jedi OG Ananobi. Hello there. Only 19 minutes for Ananobi and 14 for CJ Miles. An absolute ass kicking. The Raptors put on the Grizzlies and they were able to rest their players uh, a pretty large amount. The next game we look at the Atlanta Hawks and the New York Knicks. No Ursan Ilyasova, the starting power forward. So Mike Budenholzer decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start two centers instead. And that's really confusing. You've got Mike Muscala who can play power forward. You've got the Baptist John Collins who can play there. But instead, let's start Dwayne Dedman and Miles Plumley. Now, I like The Undertaker quite a bit. But that's a weird front court pairing. But who am I? They st- they got the victory on the road, three points, with Dedman playing 29 minutes and having 12 and 14. These are the numbers that made Dedman a must-own earlier in the season. I don't know if it sticks at this level. He 100% should be starting over Miles Plumley every single game. I don't know if that will continue, but it is worth a, a quick squeeze. I'd probably add a Jarrett Allen over Deadman just because of this dickery that uh, Budenholz is doing in that front court, but it was a weird decision to me. 
Muscala got an, a bump 15 and 6 with three triples. The only one of the big men who really didn't get a bump was the Baptist, who only played 22 minutes and had 6 and 5 with two steals and a block. I'm holding until the trade deadline to see what goes down, but there's no guarantee that he starts playing 27 minutes a night and uh, and, and really starts to, to blow up. But in 25 a night, he's a must. And in 23 a night, he's probably close to it anyway. So I am still holding on to John Collins. Schroeder had 10, 6, and 5 and shot bad, while Bazemore also shot poorly for 19, 3, and 2, while the artist formerly known as Torian Prince, maybe I can drop this for him as well. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. He was sort of in the middle, actually, in this one. 13, 3, and 2 with 3 triples in 32 minutes. A better roto than head-to-head guy, in my opinion. Definitely is fine to own in 12-team leagues, but he's a a low upside back-end sort of a player. Maybe if some of these guys move on, yeah, Ballinelli and Ilyasova, it helps him. But I just don't ever really see him becoming a 25% usage guy who's going to start pulling in 8 boards and averaging 20 points per game. I just don't see that in his game, really, at all. For the Knicks. For Sinches. Yep. 22 and 8, 4 steals and 5 blocks. It's a massive, massive night. I guess the only thing that kept him from being the monstrous line of the night is he inexplicably went 2 or 4 from the line, which could have had a big impact on free throw percentages across head-to-head matchups this week. We also had 22 minutes of Kylo Quinn, who did what he does when he gets minutes 11 and 6 with 2 steals and a block, and Cantor had 10 and 12. Frankie Nilakina hurt his knee. Uh, early on in the game, only played seven minutes. So that meant that Trey Burke was back and he played 20 and had 14, two and two. Burke was a DNPCD in the last game. Working out what the Knicks are going to do with their point guards is an exercise in frustration. It seems to change every single game. Burke literally out of the rotation and now back playing 20 minutes here. I don't know if Nilakina is going to miss time, but it's appearing more and more unlikely that he ever becomes a standard league guy this year. If someone drops Tim Hardaway based on the last two games, going at him, 9-4 and four in 34 minutes wasn't his greatest night. Uh, Mick Beasley, not a 12-team league player anymore. Well, Dougie McDirt played 27 minutes and did what he does, and that is nothing. Six points and seven rebounds in those 27 minutes for McDirt. The next game, the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Brooklyn Nets, no Brogdon, of course. Matty Dellavedova twisted his ankle, as did Adetokounmpo. Um, Brogo wasn't able to return. Well, Yanni said he would have been able to return if needed, but uh, he wasn't needed. So that's good news for him. Only 28 minutes for Yanni, 16, 8, and 4, while Daly had two points in 14 minutes. But Daly's limitations, Brogdon's uh, absence, meant that Sterling Brown played more minutes. I like Sterling. Missed all four of his shots for four points, eight rebounds, one steal, one block. Um, I don't know if he's going to get a 27-minute-a-night roll each night. Uh, seems pretty doubtful with Tone Snell just absorbing 31 minutes every night and doing nothing. Zero points for Tone in 31 with three rebounds. One of the worst fantasy players in the entire NBA. Sterlo's more of a deeper league guy. Jabari Parker continues to look strong. 11-1 and one with two assists and two blocks in 17 minutes. Looks great here. There's, they have to be cautious with the minutes. There is a chance that he could have a top 50 stretch, maybe near start of March. Can you deal with what's happening now? I think you should be able to. He should be owned, uh, and it's been an impressive re- return to action. The Muppet, John Henson, 19 and 18, two blocks. Big men go off against the Nets all the time. We've said that, as do point guards, and the two best performance for the Bucks were their point guard and their center. But Henson is criminally underowned in my mind. Since Jason Kidd has gone, his minutes have gone up. He's playing a more consistent role, and he's responded really well. 
I think he needs to be owned. Bledsoe had 28, 4, and 6 with three triples, a strong game from him after playing just 20 in the last game. While it wasn't Chrissy Middleton's best night, only 16 points, but mainly because he only took 11 shots, didn't do much in the peripheral areas either. On to the net, Spencer, Spencer Dinwiddie, 9 points, 10 assists, a bad shooting night with three steals and only 29 minutes. And interestingly, Karis Levert got 23 minutes and scored 15. Some of those minutes because Russell uh, wasn't able to play as much. Hard to see Levert being a 12-team league guy here, unfortunately. Jarrett Allen, the guy that uh, everyone wants to hear about. We're going to talk about him in the player spotlight later on. 14-7 and seven in 27 minutes. I'll say what I say now. He's a must-own guy. He should be owned in 10-team 10, 10 leagues. A majority of 10s, all 12s, and anything deep in that, clearly. The minutes are way up, and he's playing really, really well. Julie Locafor, not so much. 7-4 and four in 11 minutes. Just leave him for the deeper formats. That's it. The Blue Swimmer was bad. More of a 14-team league player as we're all well aware for um, Alan Crabb. The Lakers and the Thunder, another start with Brandon Ingram at point guard and Josh the Hitman Hart at shooting guard. Ingram had 13-5-3, strong performance. Oh, sorry, no, didn't he? had 16-5-5 and with two blocks, strong performance. While the Hitman had 14-11, two triples and two steals. Of course, Lonzo Ball was out of this game, enabling Hart to get those minutes. I think Hart's a better player maybe than Contavious Caldwell-Pope. I think he's a better player than Jordan Clarkson. Whether he remains getting those minutes, I'm not sure. But for the short term, with Ball still out, Hart absolutely has value. Jordy Clarkson had 18-2-2, another supremely high usage night from him. Short-term value definitely is there, but the minutes have come back down to earth a bit. And I don't really know what to make of Brook Lopez. Two games in a row for Brookie, 35 minutes here, 25 and 5 with four triples on a block. We saw him play big minutes in that game against the Nets. And he thought, oh, maybe this was um, Luke Walton saying, well, in your return, you're going to get a tribute video. We'll play you more games, well, more minutes, fine. But then he does it in the next game here against the Thunder. And both these two big games come on the back of that game where he played only nine minutes and was visibly pissed and didn't want to talk to, to reporters and just looked really like this is bullshit sort of look on his face, which was fair enough. If he gets 30 minutes a night, he's an easy, easy, no-brainer, must-own player. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case, but if you're looking for that sort of uh, boost, by all means, grab Brook Lopez, because you don't find top 40, top 35 potential guys on the wire that often. I'd say it's probably a 20% chance that he maintains a 30-minute role. But that's worth a go at this point, just to see what happens and see what this new thing is. I'm not sure that we're only going to see 16 minutes a night from Kyle Kuzma, the future MVP, or only 12 minutes from Larry Nance, but we've got 35 of Brook, we've got 33 from Randall. I don't know how this front court rotation is going to go. Kyle Kuzma, who everyone was telling me was the greatest thing in the world, is has dropped off in a large, large way. I'm not dropping him yet in fantasy leagues, but I, I won't I won't say that I'm surprised that we're seeing his play uh, crater. Uh, maybe not to this degree, but he is uh, he is dropping off. Or well, Larry Nance in only twelve minutes is he's he's a low upside guy for standard leagues. And if I had him, I I would definitely make that switch for Jarrett Allen. Uh, Kawhi Pope had thirteen five and three. He is fine as a twelve teamer, but far from a must own ten team league sort of a player. Onto the Thunder, another shit performance from Terrence Ferguson. I saw Fred Katz tweet out today that Ferguson has not hit a single field goal since he has been a starter since that second Robertson injury. He's got a couple of points, all from the line, 
has not hit a single shot. He played only 11 minutes, and Alex Abrines continues to get that playing time. Abrines had three points with a triple one. Really hard to say. He he is a 12 or 14 team league guy, but at least he's playing minutes, and at least he hits some threes and can have some value there. Russ had 36, 5, and 9. Steve Adams had 12 points with five steals. Paulie George had 26 and 7, and Mallow had 10 and 13. And much like the Warriors, it's one of the more boring fantasy teams to talk about. Very little happens outside of those top four players. The last game of the night was the Charlotte Hornets and the Phoenix Suns. Dwight doing what he does, 18 and 14 with three steals and three blocks. Batum had 22, 4 and 5. And every time that Batum seems to drop off, it's always injury related. He had that wrist problem back in Portland a couple of years ago when everyone was ready to say this guy was terrible. Had the elbow issue earlier here and everyone was dropping him. When he plays, he's actually good. And make sure he's not still on your waiver wire. Frank Kaminsky was horrendous, 4-4 four and four in his 21 minutes. Again, the only time we've really ever seen him put up decent fantasy numbers has been as a center, and he was bad on court in that position. Marvin Williams is out. He was outplayed by Trevion Graham, who just doesn't miss threes, apparently. 15-4 and four with two triples for Graham and two steals. I don't think that Frank is worth a 12 or maybe even a 14-team league spot. At this point, Zala played his second game back 14 minutes, while Kemba was inefficient but had 18 points with five assists. Onto the Suns, Devin Booker copped a knee in the uh, hip slash ribs from Zeller. That put him out of the game. Had 18-5-9. and nine. I think there's a chance that he does miss at least a game here. And if that happens, you might be able to stream in someone like Tyler Eulis, but I wouldn't be uh, sacrificing value to get one game out of Tyler. TJ had 21-2-2 with two steals. Well, Alex Len accumulated five fouls in 11 minutes. I don't think that he is a must-own 10-team or 12-team league guy. Everyone seems to think that Tyson Chandler is just going to be excised from the rotation, and they're just going to give Len 30 minutes. And everyone keeps labeling Len as the center of the future on this team. If they, had, if they thought he was the center of the future, he would have been starting all season. And there wouldn't have been the bullshit negotiations with this restricted free agency over the summer. I think that that is the furthest thing they have in their mind as Alex Len being the center of the future. And when Marquise Chris returns, I think we'll see more Bender at center, and it is going to limit what Len can do. So he is far from a high-priority sort of a stash to me. I would I would take the risk on adding a Brook Lopez over Alex Len at this point. Because oh, Lopez's ceiling is high, and I just don't see 30 minutes ever in Len's future. I, I just don't see it. I could be wrong. Um, but I don't see it. Encouraging night from Bender, 18-5 and five with four triples for him. But remember that Chris was out of this one. Bender has had a few good games, a few piss-poor games as well when he gets that starting role, more of a 16-team league guy. But I do value him in Dynasty Leagues, as I have talked about many, many times. That wraps up all of the action from uh, Sunday's games. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to go... Uh, Start get some nachos prepared for the Super Bowl. And then we're going to come back. We're going to preview the seven games for Monday. I'm going to play a song by uh, Jake McKelvey and the Countertops. And then we'll be back to shine that player spotlight on Jared Allen and preview Monday's games for DFS. All this cooking, all this cleaning, all this midnight movie screening. Watching those deleted scenes and never knowing who is who. I can hear, but I can't listen. I can glimmer, I can't listen. All I ever hear is this hissing. All I ever see is you. And if you leave, darling, if you disappear. 
guys, we're back. Let's uh, head to the player spotlight portion of the show. And we're going to be heading to Brooklyn to look to the Brooklyn Nets' first-round draft choice from this season. The center, Jarrett Allen, who's just recently taking, taken over the starting role there in Brooklyn. Let's look at his numbers for the season. 18 minutes, 7 points, 5 rebounds. He's hit a couple of threes this year. Half a steal, 0.8 blocks on 59 and 75% from the line. So some decent num- numbers there. But let's go to the last two weeks where he's seen his minutes increase. He has started the last four games. And in those... Actually, let's look at those last four games where he started. He's the 55th ranked player in that time frame, averaging 24.5 minutes, 15.5 points, 7 rebounds, 0.8 blocks, and 0.5 steals. But I would have to feel that the 77% that he's shooting from the field is a little bit high. But in saying that, he's still at 71% over the last 16 games, over the last month of action, and 59% over the course of the season. I could see him pushing back to become a 60% guy. I think that's a a decently, um, decently um, I don't know what's the right word, uh, I don't know, border baseline number to look at when we talk about his field goal percentage. Um, but I don't think keeping it at 76% is something that's going to be you know, close to being in the realms of possibility for a guy, uh, guy like this. But it's been an impressive little run. The thing I guess that we look at as a big man is... Where are the shop? Where the, where the shot blockings? Where's the shot blocking come from? Where are the block shots? That's the word I'm looking for. Where is that coming from? Because that's been a little bit down since he's been a starter. Point yeah, eight per game over that time. Just three blocks in those four starts. Not a huge amount, but over the course of the year, he's at one point seven blocks per thirty six minutes, which, which is okay. But I would hope, and we would all hope, that he could put up more or better numbers than that. But Look back at his college numbers, only 1.6 blocks per game in 32 minutes, so not not huge shot-blocking numbers there. Decent rebounding numbers, 8.4, but the other thing we do have to remember in college is he played a lot at the four as they ran a, a two-big-man lineup, so that did, did deflate his field goal percentage, his rebound numbers, and his block numbers a little bit. So we do have to pay you know, some some attention to that or, or, or I guess, factor that in as being... Um, you know, why some of his uh, numbers from college don't look as good as we uh, we would like them to. If we have a look at what Jarrett Allen has done this season, the team is actually a negative with him on the court. So that's not ideal. A negative 6.8 on-off number, but a positive defensive box score plus minus, which is always good as a rookie, a, a neutral box score plus minus, a positive VORP. These are all good signs as a rookie. A, a PER of 17, a true shooting of 60 63%, really, really positive win share numbers. These are all things that trend really highly for him becoming a, a solid contributor across the course of his career. When Jaleel Okafor was traded to Brooklyn, I said, I think Allen's a better player. I think he's a significantly better fit in the modern NBA, and they should be running with him very comfortably over what Okafor can do. And we have seen that play out. We've seen that be the case, and we're seeing that trend comfortably push into uh, into Jarrett Allen's direction, which of course, is uh, is helping us you know, quite substantially for his fantasy value. And that's um, that, that's a, a good thing, I guess, you know, well, not, not just for us, but for Brooklyn Nets fans as well, to see him push into this role and to see them try and develop him. We would like to see more shots being blocked, of course. 
from Allen, but that's not overly concerning me at this point. He is a, a must-own guy. I think he can comfortably be a top 100 player from here on out. And if he gets those blocks up or, or if he starts increasing the usage like we're seeing from him recently, the usage has definitely jumped for Jarrett Allen. We're seeing... Um, He's, he was, where, where is his recent usage? Over the last two weeks, he's at almost 20%, which of course is average for usage. We're seeing that jump, which is, uh, which is a, a pretty big positive for him. They're using him more. They're giving, giving him more plays to run. And that is, you know, really starting to put together some nice lines for Allen. In terms of dynasty, I think he's got top 40 upside for multiple seasons. And if you can ever get to two blocks per game, we're talking about a guy who I believe can be a seven, I think he can be like a Clint Capella almost with better free throw percentage. Average maybe maybe 17 and eight with two blocks. So maybe not the you know, high twos, three blocks of Capella, but be a high field goal percentage, 16, 17 points sort of a guy. Um, you know, not, not that high rebounds, but 17 and eight, 1.7 to two blocks per game. 65 and 80 as his percentages. That's really, really useful for fantasy. I don't ever expect him to become a full-time stretch five or become a a monster rebounder or a monster shot blocker. But everything that he does, I think can be very, very useful for fantasy. And he can put up some really, really strong numbers. And I'm excited to see how it all plays out for him over the course of the rest of this season as as things really do start to come into uh, focus for him and for this Nets team. So have a look at Jarrett Allen. If he is on your wire, I would be absolutely 100% all over owning him. Make sure you go out and grab him. The perfect DFS lineups from Super Bowl Sunday for Fangio. Dame Lillard had 42.7 and Fred Van Vliet had 38.4. CJ McCollum, 28.1 and Joshy Hart had 34.2. Paul George, 40.9. Ingram, 32.5. Porzingis, 56.6. The Muppet, John Henson, 51.1. And Horford had 44.5 for a total of 369. And that cost $60,000. On DraftKings, Lillard 44, Bledsoe 43.5, Harkless 33.5, Porzingis 50, Henson 51.5, Jalen Brown 33, Al Horford 47, and Freddie Van Vliet 37.75 for a total of 340.25, and that cost $49,700 dues. There are seven games on Monday, the perfect sweet spot for DFS. Love having a, uh, a slate that is that size, so make sure you are not not necessarily go over on, on what you're doing, but a game, a day where you can feel more comfortable about not, uh, not limiting your exposure. So that's always, that's always positive news in that regard to try and get a little bit of extra, a little bit of extra action onto, onto the DFS, uh, scene, I guess is, is the best way of me, uh, me putting that. Um, let's, uh, let's, which, Let's go to this first game, which is the Portland Trail Blazers. They are taking on the uh, Detroit Pistons, the new-look Detroit Pistons, who are running a lot of Blake Griffin at center lineups, which is always a curiosity. The Pistons are favored by two, and the total is 211 points. We don't know the status of Dwight Bikes and Luke Kennard for the Pistons. They're both questionable after missing the last game. Well, Shabazz Napier missed today with that toe injury. He is also questionable. If Napier misses, then we're looking at guy a guy like Mo Harkless, for the Pistons, if Bikes and Canard are out, that gives more value to a player like Langston Galloway and some more minutes to Ish Smith as well. 
At point guard, I like Lillard here at 8,100. That's a really good price for Fangio. I feel like he's going to get 40 most nights that he's out there. So I do like this spot for Dame. If we're looking at Ish uh, at 6,500, has put up some really strong games recently. The negative matchup scares me a little bit, and I'd only be yeah, caring about him in tournaments. That's really about it. Napier, not not happening for me, nor Langston Galloway. I don't love him. Although if those two blokes are out, Canard uh, and Bikes, then maybe he's a tournament guy. At shooting guard, McCollum's at $7,000. I think there are better options out there on the slate for Fangio. It's not a bad spot, but it's also not a great one. He's got a good record against Detroit, so we factor that in. The Pistons are a neutral in terms of matching up against shooting guards. Um, It's not bad, but it's definitely not a high priority. Kennard and Connaughton, not interested. Small forward, I like Reggie Bullock, 4,400, but only for tournaments. Not interested in him in cash. He's a little bit up and down and relies on some high percentage shooting, but that can result in 30, 35 point nights, which at 4,400, given the minutes he's going to get, is a realistic scenario. 3700 for Evan Turner, don't really care for that. Mo Harkless at minimum salary. If we've got no... um. If we've got no Shabazz, then minimum salary for Mo Harkless is definitely something that I can look at as a tournament play, but that's about it. Power forward, Tone Tolliver's at 4,000. We're seeing so much Blake Griffin at center that it's meaning Tolliver's minutes can push up to high high 20s, and that gives him that up, upside. I actually think he's actually got some cash floor here if he's going to play 27 minutes, which I imagine he will, and that tournament upside. The Chief Al Farouk Aminu at 4,800, just a tournament guy. That's about it. Eddie Davis, 4,000. I'm a little bit off him, while Blake at 91. I like that for cash. I like it for tournaments. I like his role at center. I like the chance of a 50-pointer here for Blake. So really, really think that's a strong option. Yusuf Nurkic at 6,100. Um, hasn't quite been where we needed him to be, but still averaging 34 over his last five. If you get 34 at 6,100, I don't think you'd be complaining about that at all. So I actually do like um, Nurkic here. Well, Drummond at 10-5. Killing it, no doubt about that. 53 average over the last five, 62 over the last three, and that's including games with Blake Griffin. I just feel it's a little bit high, and I'd only be looking at him as a tournament guy, but still, it's still a really, really good position for Drummond, and he's been playing absolutely out of his mind of late. On DraftKings, I think Drummond at 9-2. Now, that is beautiful. I love that for him, and I love Blake at 85, and I would absolutely have no problem stacking those two guys together. I think Stan Johnson at 48. He's too high on Fangio, but on at 48 on DraftKings, I think it's a really good spot. He's not going to be as good as he was a couple of games ago, but at 4,800, I feel like that's a, a pretty decent value play. Tone Tolliver at 41 is a, is a solid cash guy too, while Bullock, much like on Fangio, is a tournament guy, but I think a high-value tournament guy at 4,400. Let's go to the next game. We're going to be looking at, um, who is it? It is the Washington Wizards and the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers are favored by two. The total is 212 and a half. Miles Turner is questionable again. We've got Mike Scott, who's questionable with flu-like symptoms, and the little dog, Glenn Robinson III, is finally almost back. He is questionable to play. If he does return, I think it cuts into Boyan Bogdanovich. It cuts into Lance Stevenson's playing time as well, and maybe even a little bit into Thaddeus Young, so we do have to pay attention to how Robinson is used. He won't be playing big minutes off the bat, but he could work himself into a 20-minute role at some point, especially when Boyan starts slumping. At point guard, Corey, uh, not Corey Joseph, Daz Collison at 5,600. I think that is a strong, strong floor play. Maybe not a, the highest tournament upside, but I do like the cash value there of Dazza, who's averaging 30 over his last five. I'll take 30 every day of the week at $5,600, especially for cash. Corey Joseph at 39. 
He's doing okay, but there's very little upside. If you just need that cheap point guard who can get you 20, that's not a bad way to go about it. Tomas Sataransky, my boy, 5,600 for Tomas. He has been crushing it, 37 in the last game, 29 average over the last three. But that price rise to 5,600, it takes a lot of the value away. Um, the paces have been quite negative in terms of matchup against point guards lately, so I'm not certain that I want to use Sataransky at that price. Timmy Frazier also not, not caring too much there. Oladipo at 9,300. I will probably fade that. I would strongly fade that. In fact, he's been good. We know that, averaging 40 over the last five. But I just the, the matchup's a negative one. He's done terribly against Washington in the past at a 25-point average over his last three. I just don't think this is the best spot. I would rather take Brad Beal at 8,400, who has played very well with John Wall out, averaging 49 over his last three. Totally feel good about that and save myself $900 over a Victor Oladipo. At small fort, Otto Porter at 7,000. Just don't feel comfortable with it. I, there's a little bit of upside. I don't, I don't like it at all. Uh, Ubre at 4,500 is seeing his minutes reduced, weirdly enough, with um, with Wally out. Really tough to consider him in anything outside of a tournament. While Boyan at 49 and Lance at 44. I think the uh, presence of Robinson clouds that a little bit, so we wouldn't want to use either of them in cash. We'd never really want to use either of them in cash anyway in these sort of roles that they're currently in, but the Robinson uh, potential return clouds that even further. At power forward, Thaddeus at 59. As I said, maybe there's a concern with um, with Robinson. If Robinson plays the three, they push Boyan to the four in some smaller ball lineups. That could reduce Young's value. Um, Miles Turner also has an impact on what Thad can do. So maybe a tournament just going for low usage in a guy who has really played well against Washington in the past, but I don't feel strong in cash. Mark Heaps at 5,900. I feel pretty good about that as a cash play. The minutes have been up. The usage has been up. He's giving you 30 a night pretty much every night at the moment. His lowest score in his last five is 27, so that's pretty bloody close to the value you need at 5,900. So I do like Mark Heath here. Sabonis is at 6,300. Even if Miles Turner is out, I don't think that's a massive value play at all. So I think that that's a fade. Well, Turner is up to 7,400. I think that's also fade, even if he is activated and ready to play. Marching Gortat at 52. I think that Gortat, as much as I hang shit on him, he's playing better now. He's getting more minutes at center with Morris playing more at the four with Wall out. I think that Gortat, who's got a great record against Indiana, he could beat this value, but I don't like it for cash. But I think there's a 28, 29 point upside here for Gortat, and maybe that works at that sort of a salary. Over on DraftKings, uh, cash, I like Daz Collison at 56 quite a bit. Not sure how high the upside is, but I do like it for cash. Well, Young at 56, Thad, that is, and Miles Turner at 5,800 is a brilliant tournament play, assuming he plays. Um, that looks like it could go absolutely through the roof if he plays. But of course, he only had 8.8 points against Joel Embiid in the Sixers the last time out as he got himself into some early foul trouble. Oladipo at 84, it is in a better spot at DraftKings, but not a must-roster player. But on the conversely to Fangio, I would take Oladipo over Beal as uh, Depot is $500 cheaper than what Beal is. And the reverse is true. You got $900 cheaper for Beal on Fangio. So the site you play on makes a difference. $5,500 for Sabonis, $5,000 for Sataransky. Like both those guys, but I don't really like that spot for either of them here. While Ubre at 45 doesn't really uh, get too much going, and Porter at 71, I'm even less in on him at that sort of a salary on DraftKings. The next game we look at, we've got the uh, Orlando Magic and the Miami Heat. 
Hassan Whiteside and Aaron Gordon are both questionable. Whiteside with an illness that caused him to miss the last game, and Azar, who's missed the last three, with a hip issue. If Whiteside is out, we're looking at Kelly Olenek, we're looking at Jimmy Johnson and Bam Adebayo, all of those guys having increase in value. Olenek may be a cash guy. Bam and uh, Jim Morris tournament guys, although I'd lean a little bit more Jimmy Johnson wise in uh, in cash if Whiteside out. While for the Magic, as Gordon, if he is out, Mario Hazonia is the guy to look at there, and you could take a flyer on most spates, but most likely I wouldn't. At point guard, the iron shoulder, Goran Dragic, as good a matchup as you can get for point guards. $7,000 for him. He dropped 53 in his last game, all about using the iron shoulder here. Whereas Alfred Payton, yeah, one of the worst matchups for point guards. He's at 6,800, and I would not feel comfortable about going with him in this one. You've got Tyler Johnson, who's moved to the bench, and I'm, even though it's a good matchup, I'm not keen on getting him involved. DJ Augustin and Shelvin Mack, I think they're both fades also. Evan Fournier is at 58. I always feel like he's just a little bit too highly priced. It's not a bad spot for him, but it's not a good one. I reckon there are better guys out there while it's the Duke. Wayne Ellington at 4,600 tournaments and tournaments only, but the matchup really does suit him. Justice Winslow, who started the last game, didn't score at all, only had 16 FanDuel points. He's at 4,200. Yeah, there is some tournament upside there. He could have a 30-point game, but it's definitely not a high-priority spot, while Johnny Simmons at 45 has just been piss poor, really, for the majority of this season. Joshy Richardson, 6,500. Love what Joshy can do. Is that value, is that price taking away the value ceiling for him? Probably. But I don't hate it for cash. I feel pretty confident about his minutes, his role, his usage. There's a really solid floor there. While Hazonia at 48, love that if Gordon's out. Probably faded if Azar is back. At power forward, Ken Birch is at 4,000. Played 28 minutes in that last game. 19 points. I don't really feel strongly about him. Gordon at 85. If Gordon plays at 85, then sure, he could put up that value, but... Probably that's a fade too. Well, Jim Johnson at 53. Love that for a tournament, even more so if Hassan sits out. Same with Linux at 51. There is strong, strong value in Kalik and would be almost a cash lock if Whiteside sits out. For the centers, Adebayo is at 3,900. Really tough to even go past that in cash if Hassan is out. Maybe a tournament if Whiteside plays, but that's it. Whereas Hassan himself at 7,800. A neutral matchup. He is up and down with what he provides. Uh, tournament, I wouldn't feel comfortable in cash. While Bismack Biombo at 52, I also wouldn't feel that good about using him in either format, to be honest. On DraftKings, the Iron Shoulder at 73 and Fournier at 58. I think they're both some decent value. I like Fournier much more on DraftKings on Fangio, and that's mainly a scoring system situation. Whereas Justice Winslow, if he starts again, a $3,700 starter who can rack up some assists and get some steals, that is worthy of a GPP flyer. Alfred Payton, Aaron Gordon, eh, very little for me to like there. I like Joshy Richardson. I like Jim Johnson at 54 on DraftKings as well. And the same stuff I mentioned about Linux and Bam Adebayo applies on DraftKings and FanDuel. The next game up, we've got the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans, the battle for the Jazz nickname. Don Mitchell, who missed the last game with the flu, is questionable again. Joe Johnson rested that last game. He will be back, while Rocket Rodney Hood is probable after that leg issue. He only played limited minutes in that last game. At point guard, Rajon Rondo's at 4,900. He was putrid in the last game, as he has been nearly all season. Really tough to use him, especially against a Jazz team who's very good, very good defensively. Ravishing Rick Rubio, $7,000, averaging averaging 40 points over the last five and 44 over his last three. 
with the potential of having Mitchell out and Rocket out. He is a brilliant tournament play, and I'd even have to consider him close to cash in that situation. But if we don't hear news about Rocket and Don's um, playing status, 7,000 just might be too much. Now, a lot of people are conflating Rubio's increased performance to Gobert's absence, and that 100% could be the case. I still think that we've seen all these big games and they've been without Hood. And then when Hood came back, it was without Mitchell. So we've yet to see how it goes when Hood and Mitchell are both there and Ingles playing and maybe Alec Burks and Royce O'Neal, how Rubio is going to go when both Hood and Mitchell are playing at 30 a night or 35 in Mitchell's case. So there's a there's an argument to be made that his increased play is due to the return of Gobert. And there's the other argument that his increased play is because there's no rocket being around enabling him to get up. So we're not not 100% sure on that. It, the jury is still active. We've yet to see all those things take place together. We've yet to see a 30-minute rocket Rodney Hood game with Don Mitchell playing, with Gobert playing. Uh, or we've yet to see a couple of those as a sample size to see what it means for Rubio. So that makes it hard to use him in cash if we don't have that concrete evidence yet. At shooting guard, I like Drew Holiday at 7,300. Even though the matchup's a negative one, I feel good about his floor here of plus 30 points. Really, really strong option. Rocket at 4,000. It would, of course, just be a tournament guy. Well, the Don, Don Mitchell at 8,000. He dropped a monster over the weekend, 41 points, which was 59 FanDuel points. 8,000's a lot, and we don't know if he's going to play, but he would absolutely be in the tournament conversation. Jingle and Joe's at 4,400. That's a pass for me. Etwan Moore at 43 is also a pass. Dante Cunningham, Joe Johnson, Darius Miller, all passes. Royce O'Neal's one we have to have a look at. If Rocket or Don Mitchell are out, 4,300 for Royce. Might get you interested. He averages 26 over the last three. Had 38 in that last game. But I think there's an element of fluke in that. As well as Royce has played, he's not a consistent fantasy producer. And I probably wouldn't use him in most cases. My boy Nick Miritich, just the comfortable 48 points in his debut for the Pelicans, 35 minutes. No Greg Munro coming to take his minutes, 7,500 for Nick. The matchup is what I probably am a little bit cautious of, um, just given the, the negativity and the slow pace of the Jazz. But 7,500, he should not be out of your tournament player pool. I just probably wouldn't have him in my cash pool. Derek Favors at 5,400. There's just so little upside there. The price is sexy, but there's so little upside there given what his current role is. While Shek Diallo, 27 in the last game in just 15 minutes. He's at 3,800. Absolutely consider him for your GPPs. He's finally getting minutes. He produces. He produced last year when he played. It's just that Gentry hated him for some reason, but he's really got no other options unless he's going to play Emeka for which would just shit me to tears. But I, I do like Diallo's GPP upside here. Tone Davis at 11.7. Let's go with him. He is killing it, averaging 61 over the last five. Yeah, Rudy Gobert, we know what he can do, but I don't care. Let's get Davis in there. Whereas Gobert at 7,300 is not a bad cash bloke. I think he is a limited tournament upside player, but yeah, he's absolutely fine to use in uh, in your DFS lineups. On DraftKings, uh, Miritich at 58 is as locky as it comes. That is that is going to be 80% on cash. Someone let me know what it is on DraftKings, actually. That is ridiculous. Drew at 72, I love for cash. And Diallo at 3,000, I love that for both formats. That is sensational. The Don at 7,100, really hard to go past that for tournaments because he can blow that out of the water if he plays. But with the uncertainty, 
hard to really get him uh, locked in as a cash guy. While Tone Davis at 11-2, we're really in on that as well. So there's a lot of value in this game, despite the slower pace that Utah normally runs at, especially on DraftKings, where those prices are much lower than what they should be, or at least what they should be in my estimation. The Charlotte Hornets and the Denver Nuggets. Uh, Marvin Williams, we're not sure of his status yet for Charlotte. That would open up Trevion Graham and Frank Kaminsky, but they're not going to be big DFS contributors. The Blue Arrow, Jamal Murray, 6,600. It's a positive matchup, although the Hornets have tightened it up a little bit against point guards recently. I'm not sure the upside is necessarily brilliant for Murray here. It's not bad. He's had a 50-point game this year. He was cooking in that uh, game the other day against the Thunder. Only put up uh, 25 against the Warriors. Some cash value there, you know, you feel pretty reliable with him, but he's still not there as that, I know what this guy's going to do every night. Kemba at 9,000, the matchup's a positive one, but that price is uh, is not good. And he struggled a little bit with his shooting in today's game. Um, definitely can have a, a bounce back, but a back-to-back traveling to Denver is far from an ideal situation. So I'm probably going to fade Kemba here. Carter Williams at 37, Manny Moody at 37. I'm not getting into them. Gaz Harris. Six thousand four hundred. Love the floor. That is a great cash play. Maybe not the best tournament play, but I love it for cash. Farton Will Barton at seventy two hundred. Strong performances lately, but I think that's a little bit high for me. I'd, I'd lay off. Nick Batum at sixty eight. They've bumped his salary probably too high as well on the back to back. Well, Jez Lamb at forty seven. I'm not really all that interested in what he can do. Graham uh, at minimum salary thirty five hundred. Nice performance from him today. Absolutely worth a GPP look. While at power forward, Marv Williams is at 44. Yep, not interested. Trey Lyles at 61 is too high. Ken Farid and Darrell Arthur aren't worth me wasting too much time on. Nikola Jokic. Pretty good. It's pretty, 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 pretty good. He is. But Dwight Howard is is a matchup for him that, that's tough. Um, although... Centers against Dwight have put up some decent numbers lately, but I just don't like that price for for Jokic. I love Jokic, but I just think that price is a bit high. I could absolutely use him as a tournament guy, but I don't feel good about using him in cash because of that salary. I think he's a 40-point guy here, but not necessarily a 50-point guy. So that's the uh, hesitation I have. As for Dwight at 8,800, again, maybe five to $600 too expensive, and I think there are going to be better options out there like uh, Rudy Gobert at 7,300. Cody Zeller at 36, just not going to get enough playing time to really matter enough for DFS. On DraftKings, Jokic is in a much better spot, 8,700. I'm all about that, and that's what the difference in price can do. Love that for Jokic. I love Farton, Will Barton at 62, Jamal Murray at 64, and Gaz Harris at 63. All of those guys have cash and tournament value. I think Kemba and Dwight are probably still a little bit too highly priced, as is Batum, whereas Trey Lyles is absolutely in GPP form or GPP zone at 5,300. Let's move it on. We've got two games to go. Let's look at the Chicago Bulls and the Sacramento Kings. Larry Markinen was initially ruled in, and now he has been ruled out. Apparently had some travel schedule difficulties and won't be making it to Sacramento after celebrating the birth of his first child. The Kings, who have, on the 16th of January, stated that they'd be resting two veterans every game, have not rested any veterans in either of the last three games. And I did some numbers on this, and I wish I had the numbers in front of me, that in the games before the 16th of January, Vince Carter played in rough numbers, because I can't remember off the top of my head. I think he played in 60% of all Kings games in before the announcement of them resting two starters every game. 
Since then, Vince Carter has played in 78% of games. So he's actually playing more after the time was to rest the veterans. Now, you can tell me they've got injuries. Scalabissier is out for two to three weeks. Malachi Richardson is struggling. That is all true. There is absolutely zero reason for Garrett Temple to play 31 minutes and Bogdan Bogdanovich to play 28. There's zero reason to get 30 minutes of Zach Randolph and big minutes for Costa Kufos when your just Papianis does not play a single minute. And you can tell me that Papianis is not good, and I will agree with you. But if your stated goal is to develop your young guys, to see what you've got in your young guys, then surely you have to put them on the court. If you're going to come out with this bluster about resting two veterans and developing the youth... Um, and, and Simon Smith tweeted me something today or yesterday saying that they were interviewing Jaeger saying, you know, look at, look at us. We're getting all the young guys out in the court. And as he was saying that, Randolph, George Hill, and I think Costa Kufos were all on the court at the same time. Maybe it was Vince Carter all on the court at the same time, which just flies in the face of everything you're saying. You can tell me you've got injuries, all that bullshit, whatever it is, but there is, you can very, very comfortably at least be sitting one of these guys or at the very least, not playing the veterans more than what they were before this resting policy allegedly came in. In terms of working out what's going to happen with this rotation for fantasy, it is impossible. There's no way of knowing because it changes every single game. Roles change every game. Lineups change pretty much every single game. And the thing we thought we knew about veterans resting has has gone away. It could very easily come back. We have no idea. We don't know if Malachi Richardson's going to play. He's got a left ankle sprain. So if he is out, then we probably get all four of these old blokes playing again. It's just really tough to know. The problem here is it's such a great matchup for these Kings guys against the Bulls who have just been horrendous defensively. At point guard, De'Aaron Fox, 5,800. The matchup is brilliant. No Chrissy Dunn for the Bulls. I love Fox here for cash and for tournaments. On the Bulls side, Jaron Grant at 59. It's a good matchup for him, but I think he's a fade. Jameer Nelson might be the backup. It might be Ryan Archer-Jackano. We're not going to be using either of those guys, of course. Georgie Hill at 4,400. George Hill averages 14 points over the last five games in 22 minutes. There's absolutely zero reason to use him until Jaeger comes out and plays him 36 minutes. At shooting guard, Justin Holiday is at 5,200. Has been okay. He's getting minutes, but he's not getting anywhere near that value. The matchup here might dictate using him as a GPP guy, but his shot has been so far off, I cannot use him in cash. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, again, inexplicably had his minutes reduced in this time of youth development. He has played 24 minutes a game over the last three and 28 over the last five. For the last month, he's played 30 minutes per game. But now that the the resting rotation has come in, his minutes have been reduced. So what do we know? It's a great matchup for Bogdan. He can comfortably drop 35 points here, but what will the minutes dictate? That's why it's impossible for me to use him in cash. While Zach Levine crushing it, but Fangio's gone, well, we're not having any of that. His salary is now 7400 and that is really tough. The matchup's brilliant. I think it's a GPP spot, but that is, that's a tough salary to swallow for Levine. Budrick Heald, another one of these young players we're developing, is playing only 21 minutes a night. Really hard to use him despite the positive matchup. Small forwards, Justin Jackson at 36. He is not a high fantasy producer, so I don't care. Denzel the Hammer, Valentine, Paulie Zipser, David Noir. But now I imagine Zipser's going to start. So at 3,700, a guy that had 25 points in 26 minutes in the last game, sure, that's a tournament value. In fact, if you want to go big on some high price guys, not that there are many high price guys playing on this slate, but say you want to put Drummond in, Davis in, um, Blakey Griffin in, Oladipo in, then maybe putting Zipser in there at that price, get 20 points. That might 
uh, workout. So that is something to consider. At Powerport, uh, Punch Bob, Bob Portis is at 5,800. I like that spot with Mark and Anout. We're really interested in that. Well, Zebo at 6,500 at uh, tournament only. I just don't know what they're going to do. Robin Lopez at center, 4,400. With Mark and Anout, he's played big minutes the last two games, had 34 points in 36 minutes in the last game. A super positive matchup for Bob. I think that there is almost no way he doesn't get 25 points here, so that makes him a cash guy with also 30-point upside. He could come out and play 17 minutes, but without Markin in there, without Miritich, their front court is Zipsa, Felicio, um, Portis, and Lopez, and I think that Lopez will get that playing time. I like Willie Cauley-Stein here at 7,000. I like him quite a bit, a cash guy and a tournament guy, while I'm not really interested in Kufos or Felicio. On DraftKings... Levine is at 6,600, so I love that price. That is a cash guy. Bob Portis at 62, also worthy, worthy, and Darren Fox at 6,000. I like them for cash and tournaments, whereas Will Cauley-Stein, oh, I'll probably also put Will in, in the cash option, while Zebo at 57 is more of a tournament upside sort of player. Let's go on to this last game, then we can all go watch the Super Bowl. The Mavs and the Clippers. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, again, uh, matching up against his almost former team. Injury-wise, the pencil Harrison Barnes is dealing with an ankle sprain. That's really the only one we need to pay attention to. Austin Rivers is still out for the Clippers as well. At point guard, Milos Teodosic at 5,100. He was the first sub in the last game as Ty Wallace replaced him. I think he's a GPP guy, but not a strong option. While JJ Barea at 48 has lost a little bit of his early season luster. With... um. The, poten- the, the potential of Barnes sitting, I like Dennis Smith. That might seem weird to you that that would be the case, but if Barnes is out, it pushes Wes Matthews more to the three, Yogi Ferrell more to the two, um, and then we get some more minutes from Smith at point guard. So that's why I like it there. I think he can be used as, as a cash option in what is a, an actual positive matchup with Milosh and Lou Williams providing that point guard defense, which is, uh, I guess, an oxymoron. 4,100 for Yogi Ferrell. Eh, maybe if the pencil's out, he'd be a tournament option. At Shooting guard, Avery Bradley had his Clipper debut. It was the same as his Pistons season. Shithouse, 14 points in 32 minutes for Brattles. But I think he does have some upside here, but I wouldn't be looking at him in anything apart from a tournament. While Lou Will at 84, the numbers have dipped a little bit from Williams, so I'm not really feeling him at that sort of a salary. Wesley Matthews at 55 is up and down, but if Barnes is out, I think you can lean a little bit more on him than what you normally would. Ty Wallace at 44. The minutes are there, but they're not as high as they were before, so I think he is not someone to care too much about. The Rooster, Danilo Gallinari, 5,700. That is a no-brainer to me. I love that spot. He had 30, 40 points in 30 minutes in the last game. I love it at 5,700. All about the Rooster here, while the pencil at 67 is a strong fade with that ankle issue. At power forward, Dwighty Powell started the last two games, 4,800. That price rise takes a little bit of shine away. You could use it in cash. I like it more for tournaments, but I think he's a guy you have to play. Well, Dirk at 5,200, not really seeing too much there for Dirk. Toby Harris at 66 had a really good Clippers debut, putting up 34 points. But I just think that that price is probably a little bit high in a negative matchup. The table, Montrez Harrell, he had 29 points in that first game, but only in 18 minutes. I think getting that sort of um, those sort of numbers in those limited minutes is not a sustainable practice. At 4,900, I'd probably end up fading Montrez here. At center, John Ray Jordan, 7,900. I, I actually like this. I'd take Gobert over him at the $600 cheaper, but he always does well against Dallas DeAndre, so I like this spot for him. And uh, Salah Mejri, not really, uh, not really moving the needle for me for Dallas. 
On DraftKings, I like Jordan at 76, Lou Williams at 83. The three-point bonus helps his value a bit. While Dwighty Powell at 3,700, that is super tough to go past. I think that is almost a cash lock over on DraftKings. Let's have a look at Yahoo on uh, Yahoo for tournaments. Aaron Gordon, if he plays, is in in a pretty good spot, I think. Uh, Thaddeus Young, Stan Johnson as tournament guys. Reggie Bullock, JJ Barea, Justice Winslow, Babyneck, Czech Diallo, Justin Jackson. And for cash, we've got Yogi Ferrell, Tone Tolliver, Satoransky, Robin Lopez, Dwight Powell, Bogdan Bogdanovich, De'Aaron Fox, Nick Miritich, Zach Levine, Kemba Walker, Oladipo, Jokic, and Tone Davis. On Moneyball for tournaments, Tone Davis... Corley Stein, De'Aaron Fox, Bogdanovich, Bogdan, that is, Jimmy Johnson, Al Farouk Aminu, Reggie Bullock, The Duke, Wayne Ellington, Boyan Bogdanovich, and for cash and tournaments, it's Tone Tolliver, Avery Bradley, who's really cheap there, Robin Lopez, Dwight Powell, The Rooster, Daz Collison, Joshy Richardson, Yusuf Nurkic, Bob Portis, CJ McCollum, The Iron Shoulder, Nick Miritich, Zach Levine, and Dame Lillard. If you are watching this or listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, go and leave a five-star review. It's a great way of helping to support the podcast. You can also find us on Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and Stitcher, and on YouTube where you can subscribe and give a thumbs up and leave a comment. We're going to be back tomorrow to break down all of Monday's action, preview Tuesday's uh, games as well. My name is Josh Lloyd. I'm the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at redrock underscore Beeble and the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network at Locked On NBA Net. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Solomon Hill.